0: Welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Man, is this over yet? Look at any of you that have been journeying with us through this series of uh, where we're talking about suffering and pain might be like, come on, like how many more weeks of this are we doing? Or even if you're new to church or new to this church or first time in a while, you might be like, oh, I don't know if I want to talk about this. Man, it is hard, right, to talk about pain and suffering. It brings up stuff. You know, you're kind of hoping to come to church to be comforted or have peace. Talking about pain and suffering it's hard. It's hard to do week after week. And we're actually talking about in the context of wrestling with God through pain and suffering. And wrestling is hard to do. You can't do it forever. It gets tiring. You get sweaty. You want to stop. And there's lots of aspects of this that make us want to not think about it and not uh, think about you know what goes in that blank for us when blank happens, either in our past or in our present uh, whatever kind of pain or suffering we have gone through or are going through, or grief and loss and tragedy and trauma. Um, and and it's hard, but the reason we're wrestling and the reason that um, we are inviting you to to stay in the fight, if, if I can use that language, is so that we can break through to something. Uh, and this is the language we've been using every week throughout this series, that we would not only be able to be honest, to have honesty about our pain and suffering and realize church is a place we talk about that, that we talk about our pain and suffering in the presence of God, that this is part of our prayer life, um, complaints and and anger and frustration and grief and tears, to have honesty but also hope uh, that that honesty doesn't lead to despair, but that we have somehow hope in the middle of the pain and suffering that we're going through or that we are walking with our friends and our loved ones through. And... That we would likewise have permission to be honest, permission to bleed, (laughs) um, but also direction on what to do with our pain and suffering. Where do we go? How do I move forward in my life as I'm going through or walking with others through difficult things? And so we're just inviting you to stay with us on this journey. One of the metaphors that um, is kind of common when we think about pain and suffering or trials is the metaphor of fire. <laughs> that and that, that that fire can and it, it, that that uh, we can go through fiery trials or things where the heat is turned up in our lives, and it's real because when we go through pain and suffering <laughs> like a fiery trial, it can do damage. To us and to lots of things, particularly if I can say this to our relationships, that when we go through pain and suffering, our friendships and our close relationships can take a hit or that it can do damage to that. You don't have to put up your hand, but how many of us have said, yeah, like a, um, a, a, a close friendship or a relationship was sort of blown up or blown apart through suffering, through a trial, that the difficulties and the circumstances of whatever we were going through physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, ended up doing damage to friendships or I lost friendships through that or the close relationships in my life. That um, fire can do damage to that. And and if that's you, um, it can make us want to take a step back from people and just say, I'm not gonna let people know what I'm going through or I'm going to have to go through this alone or I'm just going to put some distance between me and loved ones or I'm not going to totally be transparent or vulnerable with this because it did damage last time or there was added damage, added pain. The the fire of uh, suffering and trial caused destruction and damage to the relationships in my life. And that's real. And I know that that happens. But if I can encourage us is that we have to talk about this aspect of friendship <laughs> and relationships as it relates to suffering and trials, because fire doesn't just do damage and we have to be careful, right, that it doesn't destroy <laughs> relationships, but fire can also reveal something that is under the surface, right, when when the surface gets burned away, <laughs> um what's underneath becomes visible. What was hidden before becomes visible. And so um, fire can actually, and trials can actually reveal things that are under the surface in our friendships and our relationships that were hidden before, things that we didn't see when everything was fine, when we were just cruising, when the wind was at our back and life was great, we couldn't see what was under the surface. And even more powerful and profound, Fire has the ability to take something and make it more true or make it more pure or make it better. Just like, you know, fire is used in the refinement of precious metals so that the draw, so that the impurities in the metal get burned away. And so what's remained is truer and more precious and more valuable and stronger. And I want to suggest to you that the, the fire of trials and suffering actually has the potential. Yes, it has the potential to do damage. And so we have to walk and tread carefully. But it has the potential to reveal things that are under the surface that we can't see when everything's good. And even more importantly, it has the potential to take something and make it better, make it truer, make it purer and stronger. It make our relationships better as we go through trials and suffering. But how does that happen? Well, <laughs> every week in this series, we're turning to the section of Scripture that you might find kind of in the middle of your Bible, <laughs> Um, called the wisdom literature. And, and as I said to you every week, it's, it's wise <laughs> because it wrestles. It teaches us how to wrestle. There are no quick answers to the problems and challenges of life, and certainly when it comes to pain and suffering and loss and grief, there are no quick answers. And yet what we find is, man, there's a lot of conversation about that. There are a lot of prayers <laughs> for people who are going through hard times. The Bible is not silent or uh, uncomfortable with pain and suffering and the wisdom books help us sort it out and one of the books that you would have started reading when we started our um, bible reading plan at the beginning of october um, is in the wisdom literature and it's it's considered um, one of the most um, vocal books about suffering it's considered a book about suffering (laughs) Um, and it's a book about a man named job and the suffering that he went through now if you have started reading this at all, and maybe you started and stopped, and you're like, this is terrible. This is a horrible place to start a Bible reading plan. Well, you can blame Pastor Tony, and I will give you his email, and you can say, well, why are you having us read this? Because it is a hard book to read. It's a book about suffering, but here's what's so interesting, and you're almost through it, okay? There's 42 chapters, though. What's interesting is the, the book, only two of the 42 chapters are about the reasons for the suffering or the events of the suffering only two of the 42 chapters the other 40 chapters listen are conversation it's actually i think i haven't done the exact word count and study and come comparison here but i think it's the longest section of recorded conversation in all of scripture in all of the books of the bible this is the longest section of conversation and it is a conversation between friends about suffering and and though it's like at times a philosophical conversation or seems like a theological conversation it is primarily like just a conversation among friends and there's a lot of emotions that come out of it It, it's almost like you feel the book more than you even read it which is why it's uncomfortable to read because we're feeling the difficult conversations that friends are having job's friends with him through his suffering It's actually like a book about friendship when blank happens. (laughs) So it's really appropriate for our conversation in our series. What does friendship look like? (laughs) And what does the fire of trial and suffering do to friendships when people are going through suffering? And I want to read for you um, just uh, an an introductory section of when kind of the conversation started between this guy Job and his friends. Now, what we know from the first um, kind of chapter and a bit of Job is like, um, kind of the that suffering has touched every part of his life. Um, his his health, his body is in pain and suffering. His wealth, all of his possessions and whatever he had built up is gone and destroyed. His family, um, he's lost all of his children. Like he's grieving deeply for losing loved ones. And now he's even starting to lose his marriage because his wife and him are, are, are fighting because of, right, that's what happens in the pressure of suffering and trial. It strains the relationships in our lives. And so it, it's straining even the closest relationship in his life. And he's having spiritual kind of pain with what to do with this with God. And I want you to listen to, as he's gone through all of this, as his friends enter the picture. And uh, so this is what we read in Job chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. When three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Okay, so they're hearing about this. They live in different places. They get together and they're saying, let's go see him to comfort and console him. Their names were Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite. We're going to call them E, B, and Z, okay, just for our purposes, because we don't want to have to pronounce those names many times uh, more here. When they saw Job from a distance, listen to this, they scarcely recognized him. Like, obviously, his body had been so beaten up through this. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and threw dust into the air over their heads to show their grief. That was something you did in that culture to show grief but obviously they were torn apart by what they saw. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. And one sense, as you read this, it's like, yeah, this is what friends are supposed to do, right? They hear about his suffering. He didn't text them, right? With snail mail or camel mail or whatever it was. Like, took it took a while to find out. They, they tell each other, let's go. We're going to travel to be with him in this trial, in this suffering, so that we can console and comfort him. And when they see him, they react. They share his grief. His grief becomes theirs, and they're torn apart by it. It says they wailed loudly, tore their clothes, which is this, like, this visible outward sign of, like, oh, this is killing us, too. We're so grieved that you are hurting they put dust on their heads and then they just sit with him for days and say nothing because it says they saw that his suffering was too great for words. There's nothing to say. And so Job and his three friends sit in silence for days. This seems like true friendship, doesn't it? And, and it really was. And, and probably it was helpful until the words started. That's when the fire broke out. (laughs) Now, when I was in high school, there was this talk show that started called the Jerry Springer Show. And it wasn't a talk show like Oprah. This was like a train wreck talk show. This was like about people who got into fights on TV and the rest of the world just got to watch them. These are real people with real problems, families, friends, business people, whatever. And the whole point was to show the train wreck of conversations as words began to pile up. And friends... Even though that launched in 1991, the original, maybe the pilot episode of Jerry Springer literally could have been the rest of the book of Job because it is an absolute train wreck of words. As soon as the words start, the fire breaks out and Jerry Springer would be proud. I'm going to read you just a sample of the back and forth between these three friends and Job in case you haven't read it or just to remind you of what you have read over the last little while of how the fire starts to burn and actually does damage to the friendships. (laughs) Um, Job starts to talk after seven days and says, look, I'm so angry. I'm so upset. I'm so in anguish. He's kind of half talking to God, half talking to his friends in their presence. And after he starts talking, then they start talking. And he says, will you be patient and let me say a word? Job says, you should be kind to a fainting friend, but you accuse me without any fear of God. And then, in fact, he says, you would sell a friend into slavery. That's the kind of friend you are. He, Job says, I hate my life, and I don't want to go on living. Leave me alone for my few remaining days. Then B says, how long will you go on like this? You sound like a blustering wind. That was like a lot of shade for the ancient world to, to say that. Job says, I'm disgusted with my life. Just let me complain freely. Z says, should I remain silent while you babble on? When you mock God, shouldn't someone make you ashamed? Like, you should be ashamed of yourself, Job. And Job says, you people really know everything, don't you? Well, I know a few things myself, and you're no better than I am. As for me, I would speak directly with the Almighty. I want to argue my case with God himself. As for you, you smear me with lies. As physicians, you're worthless quacks. Oh, you came here to make me feel better? You're useless. You're worthless. Job says, be silent now and leave me alone. Let me speak, and I will face the consequences. E says, a wise man wouldn't answer with such empty talk. You're nothing but a windbag. He says, your own mouth condemns you, not I. Your own lips testify against you. What do you know that we don't? What do you understand that we do not? Job says, I've heard all this before. What miserable comforters you are. Won't you ever stop blowing hot air? What makes you keep on talking? (laughs) B says, how long before you stop talking? Speak sense if you want us to answer. And Job says, how long will you torture me? How long will you try to crush me with your words? You've already insulted me 10 times. You should be ashamed of treating me so badly. Listen closely to what I'm saying. That's one consolation you can give me. Bear with and let me speak. After I've spoken, you may resume mocking me. <laughs> Man. It's comical if it wasn't so awkward and like destructive, right? I mean, this is so hard to watch and listen to as the words start to burn like a fire and the fire does damage. Like, you know, the first few days, their presence, their tears, and their silence were probably helpful, but their words weren't it just started to destroy. And, you know, like I I think we can sympathize with them a little bit because they're trying to help. It says they came to, to be with him and they sat for seven days and didn't say anything and they're trying to comfort him. And then they feel like he starts saying all this stuff that's not helpful. It's not helpful to him and it's maybe disrespectful and irreverent to God and they're like, this isn't sound right. And so they start to to correct him and to say, no, no, you're, you're not thinking well. This isn't good. This isn't helpful. Um, and they start to say things like some of the words we talked about a couple of weeks ago that imply like, well, no, God has a reason for this. Or God is in control. Or why are you saying that God is bad or wrong or unjust and that he shouldn't be doing? Like, you know, God, you can trust God. Why are you talking like this? And, and they keep on explaining to Job, why, like if you read all the way through these 30 something chapters, they keep on explaining to him why he's probably not seeing this properly, why God is right in this and why Job is wrong. And the more they explain, the more Job shoots down what they're saying. And so the more angry they get, and then Job gets more angry in return. And the more critical they get of Job and the more critical Job gets of them as they continue to insist that they are right and Job is wrong. And then they start like name calling and then throwing out accusations. And then at one point, it shows that they, they actually now want Job to be proved wrong, right? And we can empathize with that when someone's going on. And now we want them to be wrong, right? They're angry. They're not trying to comfort and console him. Now they're trying to shut him up and say, you should be ashamed. You're going to be proved wrong in this Job. Man, they, they, they came with such good intentions. And they listened for a little while. But then the words started, and the more words, the more fire, and the more damage. It, it's kind of a cautionary tale for any of us <laughs> who are trying to be friends to those who are suffering and going through trial, that we need to be very careful with our words. And that maybe it's a little bit revealing that <laughs> like it's, it's not our words aren't always helpful or maybe haven't been or even good intentions aren't good enough. <laughs> That sometimes good intentions can go south and actually do damage so i guess i mean i i want to just pause here for a moment we're trying to do this every week during this series is just feel the weight of some of these things and not just talk about them but reflect and consider our own lives through as we look at the people in scripture and then allow it to be a mirror (laughs) in a sense to reflect on our own lives many many thousands of years removed from job's situations and yet so much so relevant to our own lives so we're going to take a moment three minutes again uh to pause and i want you as we pause just to reflect on this question when my friends or loved ones uh, are in stress or pain or grief or confusion what am i quick to do am i quick to explain do i always have reasons and explanations even if i'm not mad am i always quick to explain am i quick to quote maybe even quote scripture Am I quick to try to solve, to go into problem-solving mode? Am I quick to coach or exhort or, come on, get your head back in the game. Stop talking like that. Am I quick to criticize? Maybe even if I don't do it to their face, I do it under my breath or I do it to someone else about them. Am I quick to judge for why they're thinking what they're thinking or how they're feeling or what they're saying? Maybe, Maybe you don't fall into these traps of words or maybe it's just words in your head or words to other people about the situation and not to the person which is even worse (laughs) i suppose um but let's take a couple minutes and just reflect where do you where are you quick to go to when your friends or loved ones are in stress pain grief or confusion Friends, given that our words can create a fire that can do damage, (laughs) this is a cautionary tale. We need to be very careful if and when we speak. Because it can do something that fire also is able to do, which is reveal something below the surface. And I think what this reveals about Job's friends um, in this situation as the fire reveals what's underneath is immaturity now we can think about immaturity as like childish behavior or putting attack on someone's chair or something like that but immaturity one of the definitions of the dictionary just means something that's not fully developed and i think that uh, or in other words an area or a place where we need to grow And I think in this story, this fire of the trial reveals that there is immaturity in the friends' lives, things in them that need to grow that aren't fully developed in a couple of areas. One is they did not know God very well. This revealed that they did not know God very well. And you might say, well, how do we know that? And it's interesting because they speak a lot about God. They actually say things that sound really true about God. And in fact, they say things that you could probably find in other parts of scripture that other people say about God, that even though they didn't have the the book, the canon of scripture that we have, that we could say, oh yeah, that's true. That's accurate. And yet, you know what God says at the end of this whole book in chapter 42, when he finally speaks, you know, he says to the three friends, you did not speak accurately about me. In fact, he says, Job did, you didn't. Which is so ironic because they are convinced that Job is speaking inaccurately and falsely about God and they are speaking rightly about God. We know what God is doing. We know who God is. We know what kind of person God is. We know what character God has. And so they were so sure and they insisted that they were right and Job was wrong. And in the end, God says to them twice in the final chapter, you did not speak accurately about me like Job did. Job did, you didn't twice. And then he even says, you know what? You go and bring an offering of repentance to Job like to me, but do it in front of Job, and he will pray for you, and if he prays for you, I'll forgive you. (laughs) He was proving Job right because he's saying, you guys didn't understand me. You misrepresented me. They quoted things. They talked about things. They were sure they were right about God, but the fire revealed immaturity as in they did not know God very well. Their knowledge of God was not well-developed which I think is just to say we don't know everything about the mind and the plans and the purposes of God. We just don't. And suffering is actually meant to reveal to us there's a lot of things we don't understand. We actually have to grow (laughs) in our grasp of mystery, of wonder, of silence, of wrestling, of questioning, where the things we're seeing... (laughs) in our life and our suffering don't match up with the God we know and we worship and we love and we pray to. And there's a mystery there that there's a lot of things we don't know and we don't understand. Suffering can reveal the immaturity in us that we don't know of God very well. And it also revealed that they didn't know how to love their friend well. Right? They came to comfort and console. And in the end, Job says, you crushed me with your words. They were too arrogant to see as they insisted on being right, they were loving their friend less and less. They, they were too arrogant to see that they're, and too immature to see that their words were doing more and more damage, that the more they spoke, the more they were hurting him. And he was crying out to them saying, guys, you're miserable comforters. You're not helping me. Your words are hurting. And at no point did they say, wait a second, we came here to comfort and console. He's telling us we're hurting and maybe we should shut up. <laughs> but they were too immature to see that they didn't know how to love their friend. Well, it was revealing a lack of love, which we can do as well. You can quote scripture in an unloving way. You can appeal to scripture in a way that actually isn't loving the people who are in front of you. The goal of scripture, the goal of true wisdom is love. But if we are insisting on being right more than we are insisting on trying to love our friend, We can actually do damage and the fire can reveal that we are immature, not only about what we don't know about God, but what we don't know about how to love others. And friends, as hard as that is to see, and these guys didn't want to see it, as hard as that is to see, that is a gift that fire reveals immaturity and the places in our lives we need to grow in or just to begin to admit, I don't think I know God as well as I thought. I don't think I know how to love others as well as I thought. But see, fire doesn't just reveal what's under the surface. It can also make something better. It can also make the friendship better and more beautiful and more true. There's actually a fourth friend in this story. He comes right at the very end. And you know what's interesting? He speaks too, and he isn't right about everything. But it's his language, his words are effective. You know, because silence, yes, tears, yes, but sometimes we need to speak. And this friend, we actually know his words were different than the other three. We know this because he doesn't get criticized by God. Job actually doesn't argue with him. And after he speaks, God speaks. And I don't know all the reasons why, but there's a few clues from the way he speaks to Job. First of all, he's patient. He says in, in Job 32.6, I held back from telling you what I think. He doesn't speak. They all waited seven days. He waited even longer and he listened to everyone. He said, you know what? I'm younger than everyone. I, I figured I'm not as wise as everyone. So I will wait and listen. He was patient. He didn't quickly speak. As soon as Job started talking, the other friends started talking. He didn't. He listened to all of them. Secondly, he's humble. Job 33:6 six says, look, you and I both belong to God. I too was formed from clay. He's like saying, Job, I'm with you. I'm mortal. I'm like you. You don't need to be afraid of me. I won't come down hard on you. He's he's leveling himself, he's Job, I'm with you. He's not on the other side of the argument like his friends were. He comes over to Job and says, "You and I are both clay. We're mortals. We're frail. We're flawed. I'm not coming down on you. You don't need to be afraid of me." And he wants Job to be proved right, not wrong. Whereas the other friends are like, "Oh, you should be ashamed and you're going to be proved wrong." He wants Job to be proved right. Job thirty three thirty two. 32. Speak, he says, for I am anxious to see you justified or proved right. Job, I want you to be right. I want you to come out on the good side of this. He's patient, he's humble, and he wants Job to be proved right. See, friends, nobody wants to go through the trial of suffering, and, and in part because we're afraid that the fire can destroy friendships. And it can. It can hurt our loved ones, in our conversations, but it also has the potential to reveal things that we need to see that we can't see when everything's fine. And even more so, it has the potential to make our relationships more pure, more strong, more beautiful. I want you to listen to a story of someone in our church who has and is still wrestling through pain and suffering and the wrestling with God but her choice to do it with community, to invite others in and the critical role that friendships played in the journey of her wrestling with pain and suffering.
1: Uh, My name is Kristen and I attend the King site. I have a husband named Sam and um, two kids, Niall and Naomi, ages five and one. So the season of suffering that I've been going through, it goes all the way back from when I was a child. My mom got diagnosed with cancer when I was about seven. For about four years, our family saw her going through all of her treatments and back and forth to the hospital, and I wrestled with God about a lot of that too. At the end of March last year, um, just seven weeks after my daughter was born, I found a lump in my breast, and just weeks after that, it was confirmed that I had breast cancer as well. It was so hard for me to process that this was now happening to me. It was a similar anger to when I lost my mom because I just thought, Lord, for so long, I didn't believe that I could or wanted to have a family of my own because I never wanted to leave. A family behind, and have them feel the way I felt after my mom passed away. Everything was just so extremely difficult because I had this very young ch- child. He's he was four at the time when it started, and then I have a daughter who's only weeks old. Like, what do I do? So I just. I would lie there sometimes and I would just be weeping. I remember praying with Sam and him and I saying, We can either do this alone and and just lean on each other or we can ask or we can ask the church family. And so we decided, like, we're gonna ask the church family and we prayed into that. And the church family just kept showing up and showing up. Every Monday night there were prayers. I like almost 52 weeks straight of prayer every Monday night they would pray for us and through those prayers God just kept answering. I couldn't believe how the spirit was speaking through all of these people that logged on, they were praying things that I couldn't even pray for myself. They were saying things that I was like, yes, Lord, that's those are the groanings of my heart. Those are the things that I have been grieving or those are the things that I have been longing to hear. And to be honest, I was I was hurting so bad. Out of all of those weeks that we would pray, I think I was only able to turn my audio on once and pray because all of the other times I was just weeping. And there is this era of of wanting to be able to do it for myself. And I felt like I was bothering people even. Sam would remind me, he said, if they're offering, and he goes, then let them. Give them a space where they can. But God just, he just kept showing up and kept trying to remind me. And like, amazingly for me, like one of the ways he would show up is like, is having having people from church Um, Saying, hey, I will come over and I will hold your daughter while your son's at school. I will hold your daughter. You go to your appointments. I would be laying there and feeling super alone and feeling just really sad. And then someone from church would message and say, hey, I was listening to this song and I wanted to pray it over you. And they would send me the song. Or I read this Bible verse and I was thinking about you, and so I just want to pray that over you. And it was such a beautiful thing, but it was also so hard to receive. It it truly for me was a, a visual of the body of Christ. All those that felt led by the Spirit to help us to do all of the things for us, like I. I'm so thankful. It was when other people were able to speak truth in my life that I was able to remember, yes, yes, Lord, like, that's how you love me. I would encourage people, like, build that community, take the time to get to know people. For us, it was really the heart of it was getting to know people in our home group and get to know them when times are good and share your life with them. Because then when things are tough, it's easier and it's more comfortable. And not so many words need to be shared because they already know you and your hearts are already aligned and they know where you are in your faith. Our church really started to talk a lot about our deep faith and wide embrace. And I really believe that we were able to experience that through my time of suffering. And Sam as well, um, and I'm so thankful for
0: it. Yeah. And I want to just thank Kristen for sharing that with us, and Kristen and Sam for including the church, her friends, their friends in the journey. And the story's not over yet. They will continue to need their church family, their friends, to walk with them through this. But it's such a powerful picture of of the way that. The, tr- the fire of a trial can actually make friendship stronger and better and more pure. So what can I leave you with today? What can we take away from this and actually begin to implement in our lives? Um, you know, silence, tears, um, presence, those are all really important, but words uh, are important too. And so can I just suggest to you as we close here some words maybe to use less often and some other words that we could use more often. Some words to use less often and maybe some words that we could use more often. Maybe one of the words we can use less often is God must be. God must be. God must be doing this. God must be doing that. I'm sure like uh, uh, use that less. Maybe these words, God, I don't understand. Maybe we could say a little bit less of, have you tried? Have you tried this or that? A little less solution-oriented and more, can I bring you some food? Maybe use this phrase a little less. You need to fill in the blank. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to think this. You need to pray that. And instead say, what would help you most right now? What would help you most right now? What can I do? Maybe we want to use less the words, if I were you, and instead be able to say, this must be really hard for them. I think actually we can say that on both sides, right? Like if you're the one suffering, you can say this must be hard for my friends to know how to help me, right? Like we're patiently appreciating, not if, if I were them, I wouldn't do this or say that, to be patient and To be patient with those who are suffering. Or if I were them, instead say, this must be really hard for them. And then finally, maybe we don't want to say or use this less. Why can't they see? Why can't they understand? And instead, can I pray with you now? Can I bring you to God in prayer? To pray with them, not just for them, but even with them to stop talking and start praying. It was a hymn we used to sing um, in our church growing up called What a Friend We Have in Jesus. What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Jesus, our friend, who spoke with wisdom. who actually wasn't concerned about being right, and in the moment when he could have defended himself and used many words, he was silent, and as a result, he was killed so that you and I could be forgiven for the ways we have caused damage with our words. Jesus, our friend, whose words and wisdom bring life and love and grace and truth. And so we can call on that friend and say, Jesus, help us be a friend
1: like you have been to us.